Amos chapter 5 will be in the first 17 verses of Amos chapter 5. And we've been talking about this series called Mirror Image. So we've been looking at the idea of the nation of Israel in this time of prosperity. Amos is from the land of, you guys remember where Amos is from? It starts with a J. There you go. Judah. Yeah. Did you not, was that a guess? Were you like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Uh, well done, Gabe. Uh, you will also get 100 on your Bible test. Um, we'll see what Mr. Reuter says about that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so Amos is from Judah. He goes up to Israel, and he's telling them all these things that are going to happen. He's declaring the word of the Lord to them, and Israel uh, is a nation that is going to end up being exiled, and so he's trying to warn them of these things and tell them what's going on and the fact that they need to turn back to God. And we can see a lot of similarities between the nation of Israel and our own nation today. Uh, Israel had economic prosperity. There was uh, a vast wealth in that nation. America is one of the wealthiest nations in the world. Uh, Israel had a strong military foundation. They didn't have to worry about outside threats from other nations. Uh, America, we don't really have to worry about going to war um, these days, a lot of people like to drum that stuff up, but in reality, if a nation tries to go to war with us, they probably end up getting wiped off the face of the planet. Uh, that's unfortunate, but that's the reality of it for uh, other people, and so we don't have to worry about that. We have a military security. Uh, so we have these similarities between U- the U.S. and the nation of Israel. And so then we also see a similarity between the people of Israel to turn away from God in light of their well-being in Israel, and the same idea can come with our own turning away from God uh, in light of the prosperity prosperity that we have. Um, and so we'll be looking a little bit about where we put our trust in. And so thank you to Anna Ginter for rewriting my notes, which look awful, and as I fill in the main points, it'll probably still look awful as well. But Anna Ginter has nice, neat handwriting and has helped me out. This week, you're not impressed? I mean, it's better than what I would be doing. It's better than it was before. Um, and you also put this little encouraging note, so you guys can have a little encouraging note there. Have a great... All right, even I have to comment on that. That, that, does, that does look like work with an E. No, 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 I don't want you to get it. It's okay. We, we know what you meant. We do. You, you meant have a great week. Oh, she's going to fix it now. All right, I've, I've, I've made a mistake. Well, anyway, so we'll be in Amos chapter 5. Let's go ahead and turn there. The first 17 verses, we'll read uh, maybe the first seven. We probably won't go through all of it. Um, and then we'll talk about it for a little bit. won't be a super long message, as you can tell. Two points won't be too terrible. Uh, quick Band-Aid rip. So let's go ahead. If you uh, can, please stand for the Word of God. We believe that this is uh, God speaking to us through His Word, through Scripture. Uh, so we want to respect that and honor that. Uh, so we will go ahead and read Amos chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. <clears throat> Hear this word which I have taken up against you, a lamentation, O house of Israel. The virgin of Israel has fallen, she will rise no more. She lies forsaken on her land, there is no one to raise her up. For thus says the Lord, the city that goes out by a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which goes out by a hundred 
shall have ten left in the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, nor enter Gilgal, nor pass over to Beersheba, for Gilgal will surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it. With no one to quench it in Bethel, you who turn justice to wormwood and lay righteousness to rest in the earth. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. God, we just praise you for the incredible, awesome God that you are, that you have created all things. And God, that you have created us to live a life that is meant to honor and glorify you, and you have given us the ability to do that through the saving work of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And God, we praise you for that. We thank you, and I just pray that you would work in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, that we would uh, seek to live a life according to your word and according to the Son. God, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, I kind of like, I, as I hear myself, I kind of feel like I'm just super quiet and mellow today. Maybe the four hours of sleep does that, but I'll pick it up a little bit, I promise. So, we have uh, this passage here. Anybody know what a lamentation is? It says that in the beginning of the first verse there. What does lamentation mean? There's a, there's a book in the Bible called Lamentations, so it's lamentation plural, but what does lamentation mean? You want to take a crack at it, Jack? Go for it. Crackerjack. What was that? Blessings? Healings? Mm, I'm going to have to pass on that one, Chief. Uh, Someone take another guess. Lamentations. Or to lament over something. Anything come to mind? All right, Jack, round two. Let's try it. Angry? Like wrath? Okay, well... Not quite. I don't know if it's quite the polar opposite. It's more like a different opposite. Um, a lamentation is a cry or a, a call for sorrow or a weeping. Uh, so actually, you have lam- the book of Lamentations. Is, do you guys know who wrote the book of Lamentations? It's in the Old Testament. There, did you... Okay. It's got the Apple Watch. I feel like you just Googled it. But yes, Jeremiah wrote Lamentations. Do you guys know the nickname for Jeremiah? He was the what? The something prophet. The, the what? Yeah, the happy prophet who was put, thrown into a well and had to be fished out by some people who he barely knew. Uh, you know, a happy prophet. No, he was known as the weeping prophet. Uh, so he wrote a lot about the fact that Israel is going into exile and things are terrible and oh my goodness, this is uh, awful. And so he was considered the weeping prophet. So lamentation is a cry out for sorrow. It's a cry uh, of lament. It is weeping for something. And so in this case, Amos is, is saying that He's, he's saying, hear uh, this word, or in some translations, hear my cry that I lament over you because of what's going to happen to you, O nation of Israel. He's crying over them for what's going to happen. He knows that bad things are going to happen. And so what we see is that 
the nation of Israel is turning away from God, and because of that, they will be judged, because of that, they will be exiled, because they knew the law of the Lord, and they had the Lord revealed to them, yet they turned away from him, even though God has given them so much. And so my main idea for the text is that we should seek God for life and only him. And I mean life in a multiple um, I don't know the grammatic term for it, but I mean that in multiple ways grammatically. So if you're saying seek God for life, um, I mean that in life as a noun. So life, uh, like in order to gain life, you seek God, but also as a temporal, maybe, what's the part of speech that I'm thinking of? Who knows? Anyway, I'm not good at grammar, guys. Um, But anyway, I'm thinking of it also as a temporal thing, to seek God continuing on throughout your life uh, here on earth, to continue seeking him throughout your days. So I mean that in a multifaceted way. And then only him, uh, to to look only towards God, because only God is the eternal one, and only God creates what is uh, everlasting. Only he can give eternal life. And so we should seek God for life and only God for life. And so we're going to see here that Israel ends up seeking other things. They seek uh, different things for life, and we're going to take a look at a few of those things and then talk about that in relation to our own uh, lives, our own selves. Um, So look with me uh, to—actually, I'll just write the point down first. Anybody want to take a guess at what this first point is? Not something God. No guesses? Man, you guys are tired. I need to do something to pick you guys up, tell you a story or something, or an analogy. No guesses? Kalen Times, you got no guess? There's no wrong answers. Go for it. There's no wrong answers, Jack. Go for it. Wrong. Anna Ginter, how we doing? Ooh, gosh. Ooh, ooh. Don't listen to that voice crack. How we doing? Is that, a, is that acceptable in the sight of Anna Kinter? What's, what's, sorry, I, you know what? You know what? I was... It, Why is the R? Calm down, Ginter. It's, it's good enough. You know that it's an R. So you can at least see that the word is trusting, not trusting God. And now it has contrast with all the other words because it looks thinner, you know, and now you can actually see it. It has contrast, you know. Um, anyway, not trusting. Did you just, like, fall asleep and your Bible went down? Oof, that's a big oof. He's taking a nap. That means i got to pick things up a little bit, get a little more inflection in my voice, like, ooh, you know, kind of. All right, so not trusting God. Look with me in verse uh, 5. It says, Uh, Actually, end of verse 4, but also verse 5. Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, nor enter Gilgal, nor pass over Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest you break out like a fire in the house of Joseph and devour it, with no one to quench it in Bethel. So, he names these different places. Uh, these different locations, and these are significant places for specific reasons, but why does he name them specifically? What do they mean to the nation of Israel? What does it mean that they're doing in regards to these nations? Um, I'm not going to ask you guys the answer because I honestly cannot answer myself uh, when I looked at this, but when you look at Bethel, Bethel is the place where, uh, if you remember in the Old Testament, Jacob, Jacob is uh, the son of who? 
So you've got Abraham, and then his son Isaac, and then Isaac's two sons, Jacob and Esau. Um, And so Jacob, uh, when he went out uh, into Bethel, he ended up uh, having a vision from God. He ends up worshiping God for that. He ends up praising God for that in Bethel. He builds like a stone altar to God for that uh, that reason. And so Bethel is a very powerful place to the nation of Israel. Bethel has a significance to it. Same idea with uh, Gilgal. I don't even know if that's the way you pronounce it. Who knows? Anybody know where where that is or what that significance is? So Gilgal is uh, right past the Jordan River. Uh, And so if you think of Joshua, so Moses leads the the Israelite nation all the way up to the uh, Jordan River, and then Moses dies, done, dead, and then Joshua takes over command. And Joshua leads them across the Jordan River, and they get across the Jordan River. God has parted the sea for them again uh, in such a way. Not the sea, but he parts the river for them again. He gets, they get across, and they praise God for it. They worship him for that. And so Gilgal has a special place in the heart of Israel because it is their first step into the promised land, their first step into their uh, new nation that they will uh, rule in, that they will have a kind of hold in. And so then Beersheba uh, is a place within the promised land that represents part of the land that, that, that the Lord has provided for them. So Beersheba serves as this kind of holy ground for them almost. I always laugh at the name too because, you know, Beersheba, I don't, I don't you know, the names that people come up with sometimes are quite interesting. But anyway, so Beersheba is also, yes, Josh, come on in. We got like two chairs here on the end for you, dude. You can take a seat. Jack will sit with you or, you know, either way, you know, whichever one. Oh, he chose Jack. Okay. I was thinking maybe you'd like sit in front of him, just ignore Jack. That'd be real funny. Anyway. <laughs> um, so Beersheba is also a significant place for Israel. And so what's happening here is that Israel is treating these places as if they are the spiritual powers that they need to rely on. Like, if I, if I just step foot in Bethel, that's where Jacob was, and I'll be, like, cooler and more spiritual and closer with God. I just have to step in Bethel. Or, oh, if I go to Beersheba, if I go to Beersheba, man, I mean, this place is, is cracking. And so they, they, they have this kind of idea of mysticism, or they think that they're going to gain these kind of powers from the blessings that God has given them. And they're treating the blessings as if they are God. They are treating these places as idols. And God is saying, no, don't, don't rely on those places. Don't go to Bethel expecting to find me. Seek me through the word. Seek me through what I've told you, through what I've revealed to you. And that is what Amos is getting at here in chapter 5. And so we see them trusting the places of, of their own significance rather than trusting in who God is. Secondly, in this point, uh, they have a false security of their sense uh, of who they are with God. And so in verse 14, if you look with me there, I'm jumping over there, but look with me in verse 14. It says, Seek good and not evil that you may live, so the Lord God of hosts will be with you. As you have spoken, or <clears throat> as you have said, or as you believe it, uh, these are different translations. And so we have the nation of Israel. Water time. <coughs> Excuse me. 
We have the nation of Israel uh, believing that God is with them because they are, just because they are uh, in these different places, just because they have these blessings. Because, oh, we have economic prosperity and military success. Uh, we're doing really good stuff here. We're like really good people. So God really loves us more and God really cares about us. Um, and we are one with God. They have this security in God when in reality they're turning away from God and not even realizing that they are apart from God in their relationship with him. They're having a self-denial. There's an analogy that uh, one commentary gives over this, and uh, it says that there's a Calvinist and an Arminian and another man in a boat. And the Calvinist in the boat uh, you know, Calvinism believe like predestination stuff. That's all me and what I am and all that stuff. Uh, anyway, we won't talk about that. Arminians believe differently from Calvinists. There's always an argument between Calvinism and Arminianism. It's all a big thing. But then the third man is someone who is a self-denial, uh, who, self, who denies everything that is happening. He denies reality and what's going on in his life. He thinks positively. He always thinks half glass full. And so uh, I, I imagine the uh, picture or the meme of, like, you know, the dog that's, like, in the house that's, like, burning up on fire, like, the fire's all around him, and he's sitting at his uh, table or whatever, and he has his cup of coffee, and he's like, this is fine. You know, he's, he's, like, about to die from fire, but he's like, yeah, this is okay. This is fine. Like, I'm doing great. Uh, that's the kind of person this is. So these three guys are in a boat, and the boat's going along, but then it ends up capsizing. There's a storm, the boat capsizes, they all drown, they all die. And they all end up in hell, right? They all end up burning up in hell. And so the Calvinist says, man, I thought I was chosen to be with God, but obviously I was not chosen. And then the Arminian says that, man, I thought I had favor with God, but I guess I lost that favor with God. And then the self-denier says, wow, heaven's pretty great. It's like kind of warm over here, but, you know, we're doing good. We're with God. Yeah, this is fine. We're doing okay. And that's the kind of self-denial that the Israelite nation has here. They believe that they are doing all right when in reality... Amos is saying, I lament over you, Israel, because you guys are about to be exiled. You guys are going to perish. In verse 3 and 4, it says, uh, or sorry, verse 3, it says, For thus says the Lord, the city that goes out by a thousand, so the city that has a thousand people, it says, shall have a hundred left. That's a, that's a pretty, let's see, percentages. Uh, is that like 90% of nation being wiped out completely there. It says they're continuing on, and that which goes out by a hundred, some translations say the town which has a hundred, that which goes out by a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. Uh, Is that 90% still? Okay, yeah, 90%, I'm sorry, I'm Bible major, I don't do math. Anyway, um, (laughs) the only math we ever do is counting genealogies, and people have already done that, so I don't need to do that. Um, But anyway, he's saying, guys, you guys are about to be reduced by numbers completely. You guys are going to be in suffering and pain, and you guys have this false security of who you think you are with God. And then finally, we see an injustice towards the needy. Look with me in verses uh, 11 through 13. It says, Therefore, because you tread down the poor and take grain taxes from him, though you have built houses of hewn stone... 
yet you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink the wine from them. For I know that your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins, afflicting the just and taking bribes, uh, diverting the poor from justice at the gate. Therefore, the prudent keep silent at this time, for it is an evil time. God claims it is an evil time. Amos claims it is an evil time because there's injustice going on. People are stealing from the poor. People are taking advantage of others. People are oppressing other people. And so we have this time of evil, yet the Israelites still think that they are trusting in God, yet they are not. They are not trusting God because they are trusting in other things like material wealth and their own heightened security of who they think they are and because they're, you know, special or some kind, or because they have these different places that have significance, that cool things have happened in these places. And so they are not trusting God. And I want to challenge us to think about maybe there's a a correlation to some of this of how we think of our own lives in terms of uh, trusting in different places. Uh, The commonality between these places that Amos names is that God has done magnificent things through them, that there there is a significance because God's presence was there obviously by the supernatural happening there. Um, This doesn't oftentimes happen here. Um, I don't think, like I don't know if there's, you know, it's not like other churches where gold dust were in from the ceilings or something like that. Uh, But there's a lot of times in big churches, oftentimes there's a an idea of mysticism or this kind of looking for the supernatural or the spiritual things to happen. And I'm not going to say that God can't work through the spiritual things in today's age, but at the same time, I'm going to question whether we are pursuing those supernatural things rather than pursuing who God is. And so when we go to worship uh, concerts or we go to bigger churches that have these big, magnificent performances in their stages, are we focusing on the worship of our God Almighty or are we focusing on how cool uh, the worship is or the kind of, uh, I don't know, unexplained phenomenon that goes on? Um, And so that's kind of a challenge uh, to think about a little bit, maybe not as applicable, but think about uh, having a false security. Do you truly know that you are living a life for God? Do you truly know that you are in relation with God? Now, I don't want to make you guys think like, wait, do I believe in God? Like, am I actually going to be saved? Like, what's happening here? You know, I'm not trying to make you question all of your thoughts and all of your beliefs on your head, but I just want to challenge and say, like, if someone is proclaiming Christ and saying that I believe in God and I trust in God through the saving work of Christ, but then they go out and live a life that's completely opposite of what Christ has done and, and opposite of what Christ has said to do, is that really someone who is living a life for God? Is that really someone who trusts in Christ if he doesn't want to even follow who Christ is? And then finally, do we have injustice towards others? Um, do we treat others in negative ways with our actions and with our words? This can be a real challenge, especially in the youth group. When I destroy somebody in cornhole, like I beat Matt last night two times in a row in cornhole, you know, I wanna, I'm very tempted to say, Matt, you're super bad at cornhole. Um, then he'll never be my partner again. Um, but at the same time, I also don't want to put Matt down. I know Matt's self-confidence in cornhole will never go down, but, uh, but at the same time, I don't want to necessarily try and put him down because I want to feel better. I don't want to uh, hurt him because I don't want to 
that's not the kind of love that God has shown us, so why would I show that kind of disrespect to Matt by trashing his cornhole game, um, even though he lost twice yesterday? Uh, you know, no comment on that. Um, but, yeah, so he'll explain later, I'm sure, uh, how he got like 32 points, but, you know, busted and all that. Anyway, um, <laughs> but... Anyway, so do we do we have an do we have this injustice towards others? Do our actions and words hurt one another because we want to feel better? All right, I got to finish up here, and I'm barely on my second point. Second point: the warning to Israel. This will go quick. The first point's always longer than the second. That's that requires a G. Almost forgot about that. I don't want to hear anything. All right, here we go. Verses 16 through 17. Let's go. Super hyper fast. Let's do it. Therefore, the Lord God of hosts, the Lord says this, there shall be wailing in all streets, and they shall say in all the highways, alas, alas. They shall call the farmer to mourning and skillful lamenters to wailing. In all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through you, says the Lord. I find it funny that there's such a thing as a skillful lamenter. Um, I find, like... Should we hire somebody at the church that's, like, skillful and, in, in like, mourning over, over people or something like that? That seems like, Andy, are you volunteering for that job? Do you want to be the one who mourns over people? Volunteer me? Do you think I'm, like, a depressing person? Is that what you... Oh. Yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, so, yeah, I'm a little... I guess I am a little tired this morning, so maybe I sound a little more depressing. But anyway, God is saying, guys, like, hey, this is... You guys are going to be in peril. You guys are going to be suffering. You guys are going to have these trials because you're going to be exiled. You guys are going to be wiped away. This is going to be a terrible time. There's going to be wailing in the streets. People will be crying out to lament because of all the terrible things that is happening. And as Israel has this sensation of feeling like they're on top of the world, God is saying, guys, you're about to fall. Stop looking to yourselves and stop looking to the world and look towards me because I'm the one who can save you from that fall. But then as we know, the nation of Israel doesn't repent and they go into exile. And so we have this warning. And I don't think this is just a warning to Israel. I think we can look at today's society and say to ourselves, are we trusting in God? Because one day judgment will come. One day the world will end. All of our Things in the world, all of our possessions, all of our uh, material objects, they're all going to fade. The things of this earth will pass away, but the Lord is eternal. So why don't we turn to God? Why don't we lean on God instead of leaning on ourselves or leaning on the things of this world? It's because we feel like we have this on-top-of-the-world sensation. And the reality is we're going to fall at times, and life will fall from different situations in life, but ultimately uh, we will fall in the sense of the world's going to pass away. So do we have the Lord to catch us from that fall, or are we simply going to perish? And that's the question. And so I want to ask, do we trust God's blessings more than God himself? Because oftentimes we can look to what God has provided for us in this world and say that, man, I did a really good job getting that paycheck. Man, I did a really good job getting that grade. And there is, of course, uh, a reward for studying hard and getting the good grades and all that. But at the same time, are we focusing on that as our 
kind of confidence in life, or are we using the Lord and using Christ as our confidence in life? And then finally, does our, do our words and actions uh, toward others and towards God reflect a life lived for Him? Are you following God by living a life for Him? And it's not your living for Him that saves you, it's your living for Him that shows that you, have, uh, that you believe in who Jesus Christ is and believe in the saving work of His grace. And so, as we close out, I want you guys to ask yourselves that question, think about that, uh, talk about that amongst yourselves, and really wrestle with, man, what do I put before God? What do I trust before God and who He is? So, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll finish up. Father God, thank you uh, for this morning. Thank you for giving us the ability to come and to worship you, to give you all that we have, God. That is our hope is to give you all the honor and all the glory. God, I just pray that you be with all these guys and girls, that you would uh, allow them to be a light for you as they uh, live their lives, to be able to proclaim the gospel. And God, if they don't believe in who you are, if they don't trust in your saving work of Jesus Christ, if they don't uh, love you as you have loved them, God, help them to see that love for them. Help them to build that relationship with you so that they can be secure in you. Not in the world, but to be secure in you. God, it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.